And this morning, I felt God had been preparing me to speak about that very thing. So I feel God is on our case this morning and has something really important for us all to hear. Now, this can be a life-changing moment for you. The next 30 minutes or so can actually totally transform the, the course of our lives if you can hear what God is wanting to say to each one of us today. And just as much as blind Bartimaeus was changed in that encounter with Jesus because he got his sight back, and just as much as the Apostle John was changed through the revelation and the vision that he saw this morning, my life, your life, our lives can change if we can see something that we've never, ever, ever really got a hold of and seen before. This is your moment to get your sight. This is your moment to get your sight back or to get it in the first place. And we've already been set up for this by the Holy Spirit. And I do feel this is not just another Sunday word. This is a moment of meeting with God and the Holy Spirit and transformation in our lives. Somebody said upstairs in the prayer meeting that we have before this meeting, they said, uh, it's a vision that changes our lives. And this morning is an opportunity is a call from God, is an appointment with the Holy Spirit to have your life changed and transformed with a vision from God. Anybody up for that? A few of us, good, okay. Well then, let's read a verse of Scripture and then we're going to do a bit more about sin. Can we get the verse of Scripture up, please, Jared? It says this in 2 Corinthians, For the Son of God, Christ Jesus who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Let's pray, shall we? Father, your word to us this morning is yes and amen. Your word to us this morning is have your eyes opened. The question to us all is, what do you want me to do for you? And the answer is, Lord, I want to receive my sight. And Lord, I pray this morning you will supernaturally, powerfully come to our lives and give us our spiritual, supernatural sight, a vision for our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now I need some help here. So can my helper who helped me earlier by bringing a piece of property from his house, get another person to help him and come and bring that piece of property into the meeting. Now, while they're doing that, I want some willing volunteers. Can I have two or three people willing to come up on stage and join in with me here, please? Is anybody willing to come and join me on stage? Well, Adam, good for you. Yes, very good. Who have I got the back? Is this Feng Ying? Yes, come on up, Feng Ying. This is awesome. Uh, anybody else? No, Lily, you're, 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 too, you're, you're, you're probably in the know on this. So I, I, just, I just want these people to come up before they see what's being brought out, you see. So this is, this is bravery here. One more person? Come on, who's brave this morning? Nathan, very good. Mix, you're smart. You, you feeling brave this morning, Mix? Come on. Uh, Okay, there's three or four people do. Okay, come and join me up here, you four people there. Come stand over here. This is great. Just uh, stand a little line here. And then we'll wait for this um, piece of property to arrive. 
Now, can you hold this on your own, Doug, or do you need some help? Okay, Doug, come and stand here, sort of side... Okay. Sideways onto these guys here. Stand, stand together in a little line there. Now, let me just come around this side here. Okay, now, this is something Doug actually made, I think. Is this right, Doug? You actually right. made this. You actually made this. So, are you ready? So, here it is. This is what I want you to see this morning. Just show everybody around here what this is. All right, now... We have here, for the sake of the audio, a mirror, a long sort of floor-to-ceiling type mirror. Okay, so turn it around a bit more, Doug, to face these guys here, and I want you all to come and move a bit nearer, Nathan. That's it. Just, just see if you can have a look at yourselves in the mirror there. Now, take it one by one and have a little look. That's it. See how you've turned yourself out this morning. Have a look in the mirror. Okay, now... Mix, and, and then one at a time, just like you stand and look in the mirror for a few seconds, just have a good, long, hard look. <laughs> he likes what he sees. He likes what he sees. He's hoping somebody else will like what they see. <laughs> He's too young for that, but anyway, we're, we're <laughs> we'll get there in a moment. Okay, now, here's a question for you all. What do you see when you look in the mirror? Into you now. Tell me what you see when you look in the mirror. That I see, firstly, a son of God. Yeah. And I see a husband and father. And... Um, this is good. This is good. An aspiring polo player. <laughs> okay. An aspiring polo player. I see. A handsome young man. Humble as well. <laughs> Anything Stripey else? shirt, brown shoes. Okay. Brown pants. Fungi, what do you see when you look in the mirror? It's mainly my face, my smile. Smiley face. What do you see when you look in the mirror? Myself. Yourself. Well, tell me what that is. What do you see in yourself? Uh, me. Me. <laughs> Deep things you're teaching about home these days, Andrew and Alison. Okay, well, we're going to get more out of you than that. You haven't escaped yet. Okay, now, when you look in the mirror, do you see a vision for yourself and your life? And if so, what vision do you see? Have another look at yourselves in the mirror. This time, not on the outward appearance, but look at your future. What vision do you see for your life? So have a look in the mirror again. Come on. What, superimposed over the top of yourselves. Now it's your turn, Adam, and then you, Feng Ying, and then you, Nathan. What do you see in terms of your vision for yourself in the future? Right, we're going to start with this sentence. You better be thinking now. There better be more than one word. What vision do you see for yourself in God? Um, hmm. <laughs> um. Too slow, right? We'll come back to you in a minute. <laughs> Define vision. No, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you. Are you, are you? <laughs> see people filling yeah. up all this space that I can't see any more space. Well, like that, yes, very good. I see a disciple maker, someone who's going to make disciples. Very good. What do you see, Mick? I see a successful husband and father, um, but I also see, and I think it's, it's also the way that I decide to present myself, so my outward appearance represents not what I am right now, which is a manufacturing technician, at Nissan, but a successful businessman and polo player. 
Okay. Don't say polo player. <laughs> um, a rock, a foundation for God to build on. A foundation for God to build on. Okay, very good. Well, thank you, all four of you. Go and uh, take your seats. Doug, if you'd like to leave the mirror somewhere fairly safe, we're going to come back to it a bit later on. So, Now, earlier we read this verse of the Bible. And it tells, the verse of the Bible tells us this. It tells us that when Jesus died and rose again, something happened to him that affects us. And one of those things is this, that the promises of the Bible, and there are something like 7,000 or more of them, all of those promises came to Jesus. He won the right to inherit every one of those promises. Now, there's a little phrase that's used in the New Testament, which is in him, capital H for him, in Jesus, in Christ. It's used lots and lots of times, and it describes every person who believes in Christ. Every person who's given their life to him and is truly born again is also said to be in him. So, what this verse is telling us is this, is that the promises of the Bible have come to Jesus and through the new birth, they've come to us. So that every single promise in the Bible is now available to you. That's more than 7,000 of them. So, if that's the case, when you ask God for one of those promises, he says, yes. Even before you ask him, he is saying yes to you whenever you ask for any one of those 7,000 promises. There used to be a, an advert some years ago for a bank. I don't know if you can remember it. If I say, the bank that likes to say yes. Do you remember that advert? Well, this is a similar thing. This is the God that likes to say yes. And he's already said yes to those promises in your life in Christ. Now, that being said, there's a lot of promises there, 7,000. So which ones are you really hoping for? Which ones do you know about? Which ones are you really looking to come your way on a daily basis? Which one do you want to see operating your life the most? Or which ones? And... Of all those promises, which one or ones are you most desperate for on a daily basis? That's the challenge. That's the question. Now, another question we could ask about those promises is, are they all of equal importance and impact? So I'd like to put a few of those promises before you now. Here's a passage of Scripture which contains several of those promises. So let's have our next passage of Scripture, please. This is the story of Abram, Genesis chapter 12, first four verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse so that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now, these promises were first spoken to Abraham. But remember, they're part of that group of 7,000 promises, and in Christ, they first of all went to him. And now, through the new birth, they also come to us. 
So, have a look at those promises. Which ones do you think would feature most readily in the lives of Christians in this country today? Which ones of the promises there do you think Christians today in Britain are looking for, are signing up for, saying, yes, I, I really would like to see that happen to me? Any, any offers? Make your name great. Families being blessed. Anything else? Make a great nation. The one who curses you, I will curse. The one who, yeah. Be a blessing. That's the sort of thing your parents say to you when you're not behaving very well, isn't it? Be a blessing. But it also means far more than that. Okay, so there are quite a few promises there that people in this country could sign up for. Now let me ask you, which one do you think mattered most to Abraham? Which one of those promises do you think mattered most to Abraham? I'm hearing rumors and rumbles from here, and, and a lot of you, I think, got it right. But go, George, yes. That's a great one. That sort of comes as a result of something else I'm thinking about. What, what did I hear over here? A great nation. And this is my first point. This, I think, is the greatest promise of all the 7,000, apart from getting your sins forgiven and so on. I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great nation. Let me ask you a question. Did that actually come true for Abraham? Now, let me hear again. Did that actually come true for Abraham? Okay. Was it easy? Was it good? Okay, this is going to be a bit more pantomime now. I'm going to do this all again. I'm, I, I, a bit of, a bit of um, feedback here, okay? Oh, no, he did. Oh, yes, you know, I want some of that, you know, behind you and all that kind of stuff. Now, did this come true for Jesus? Yes. Now, remember, Jesus inherits the promise through the cross. Does Jesus become a great nation? Yes. Right, you're sitting here today. Was it easy for Jesus? No. Was it good? Okay, we're agreed then. This actually worked as a promise. I will make you a great nation worked for Abraham. It actually came true. And it also worked for Jesus. It actually came true. Now, here's the jump. And here is where our eyes either get opened or you fall asleep and you miss the passing of Jesus like blind Bartimaeus could have done, but he didn't. If it came true for Abraham, and if it came true for Jesus, can it come true for us? Okay, that wasn't quite as loud as what we had before. Can it come true for us? Okay, you've committed yourself now. In Jesus, that promise comes to us. And you see, I wonder how important that promise is to the average believer in this nation today. Now, I I asked four people up on the stage here to tell me what they saw as vision for their lives. There was some varied stuff there, but nobody actually said this as a specific promise from Scripture. I wonder what you would have said if you'd have been on the stage. 
What would you have said was really important to you as a vision for your life? Because we've also heard this morning, the eyes of the Lord are on us. God has a vision for each one of our lives. The secret is, is to make God's vision for our life my vision for my life. And God's vision for our lives is already recorded here in Scripture. It's to make you and me into a nation. Now, let's get Doug back here with this mirror. Doug, could you carry this down onto the front here? Okay, let's just go down the side here. I'll be good now. I'm on the side with you. Oh, need the microphone. Okay, Gillian, take a look at yourself in the mirror here. Can you see yourself becoming the mother of a great nation? Yes. Right, one person's got the message. Well, you can go home now. You don't need to listen to the rest of it. Okay, actually, even if it's not a great nation, even if it's not China or Russia or something or India, maybe you could vote for Wales or the Federated States of Micronesia. They do exist, by the way, or it does exist. As a, yes, it's a lot of little islands somewhere or other. Um, Claire, take a look in the mirror. Can you see yourself as the mother of a nation? I can see why I don't have a full-length mirror. Um, <laughs> um, uh, no, I'm joking. Uh, yeah, I can. Yeah. Good. Take a look again. Imagine yourself as a Sarah. Ask over here. Cecil. I'm always picking on people at the end of the road, and I won't pick on Cecil now because he looks like he doesn't mind. <laughs> See, if you look like you mind, I'm going to come and get you. Selwyn, you look like you don't mind, but I'm going to pick on you anyway. Can you see yourself like Abraham as the father of a nation? Yes. Good. Yes. I'm going to collect on this next week and the week after. You're all committing yourselves here. I'm laying a trap for you. <laughs> okay, Doug, I can pop it back. I think we're done now. See, I believe this is the greatest promise of them all. As I said, apart, aside from our forgiveness of sins and salvation, God does something with our lives to turn us into an Abraham. Or a Sarah. Now, what do you think Abraham saw when he looked in the mirror? Any ideas? The Bible tells us in Romans 4. Does anybody know what it says there? Yes, John Kamara. I can always rely on John Kamara to be a good Bible scholar. Well done, John. When Abraham looked in the mirror, he saw somebody who was as good as dead. Now, is that a very positive view of yourself? Not really. I mean, fathers, would you like your daughters to marry somebody who thought they were as good as dead? It's not a great kind of line for your daughter, is it? It's not a great future. Listen, that was all Abraham could see. So the man God chose to work through 
to build the greatest nation on earth, which, by the way, doesn't have a seat on the United Nations, but has a seat in heaven because it's called the people of God. The man God chose to build that people with in the first instance thought he was not really up to the job. Now, does anybody, you don't have to say yes to this, has anybody ever had a day where they felt they don't feel up to the job of raising a great nation? If you do, that's okay. You are in good company. Because when Abraham looked in this mirror, all he could see was a guy well past retirement age who was not going to be able to produce what God asked him to produce. If that's how you feel, good. Because that's where God steps in and does the miracle. Abraham became the father of a great nation because he dared to believe something God said, God's vision and God's promise for his life, not his own promise and vision for his life. Now, it's possible for people to have their own promise and vision for their life. I was at school with a guy who wanted to be a millionaire by the time he was 30. He started his own business when he was 15, got himself thrown out of school at 16, and then went on to do all these amazing things, perhaps. I lost track with him a bit after that. People can promise themselves all kinds of things. I've met people who want a certain size of car or house or a certain size of income by the time they're 30. Listen, those are our promises to our life. But God's promise to every person's life here and every person who will dare to believe is, I will make you a great nation. Now, does that sound better than a house, a car, and a bigger fridge? I hope it does to you because it is, because it lasts longer. It has eternal value and worth. Because when people get their own promise, then they have to make another promise to themselves because what are you going to live for now? And I've watched people remake more promises to themselves. Now, here's the secret. We don't make ourselves a great nation. God said to Abraham, I will make you. You may look in the mirror and feel like you're not up to the job, but I will make you. Now, here is where the second light bulb is going to go on for you this morning. If you can hear it, if you can hear what I'm saying and hear the voice of the Spirit and hear the Word of God, I will make you. It's exactly the same as Jesus said to the fishermen by the Sea of Galilee. Follow me and I will make you. Are you hearing something this morning? You can be an ordinary person doing an ordinary job You can think you're as good as dead, but God says, I will make you. Now, when it comes to a disagreement between you and God, who usually wins? Yes, you've, you've obviously had some disagreements with God, like I have, and come through that when you answer that very well and very readily. You know, years ago, I was very privileged to... Um, be in what was a sort of startup of house churches in this country. And 
my old youth leader from the, the denominational church I was in also joined the same house church uh, a little bit later. He was a great guy, and uh, he was, I won't say the name on the tape, but many, he's, he's a nationally known name now in the country. And he was very good to me as a youth leader, and then he, then he turns up in the house church. And I remember the first sermon he preached in the house church was about being fruitful. And he got us all to close our eyes and imagine being fruitful. This is from John 15. And when we opened our eyes, he'd pinned to himself large bunches of grapes all over his jumper. and down his. So we looked at this guy with all these grapes hanging off him. And he said, and he's, and he's got this West Country Bristol accent. And he says, it's not a matter of if I can be fruitful. It's a matter of what God says. God says I can be fruitful. And this was the line he came out with. Now, it's slightly sort of unrefined English speech from the southwest of England. But I've remembered it all my life. He says, and if he, if he says I'm gonna, well, then I'm blooming gonna. If God says I'm going to, that's the Oxford version. <laughs> if God says I'm going to, well, then I'm going to. I prefer the Bristol version. Well, if he says I'm gonna, well, then I'm blooming gonna. Now, listen. I will make you. I will make you a great nation. I will make you fishers of men for eternal life. And if he says, I'm going to make you, well, guess what? He's blooming going to make you. Now, can you see something here? This does not depend on how you are sitting here today, whether you feel good, bad, indifferent, somewhere in the middle. You know, you haven't had so many quiet times this week, and if God calls you, Lord, Lord, the paperwork's not all in order. I'm not doing so well. It's not about that. It's about what he says. It's about what he wants. It's about what he wants to do. It's about what he wants to make. He wants to make you into a great nation. That's the promise. Now, it worked for Abraham. It worked for Christ. So that proves the principle. If he says, I'm gonna. Yeah, you're learning to speak West Country accent. All you to do is see it. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not asking you to commit to anything. I'm not asking you to promise anything. I'm just asking you in the first instance, can you see something? Can you see the promise of God in Christ to yourself? And don't worry about what you see in the mirror. Because if he says, I'm gonna, you know the rest. Second point, that, I believe, is the greatest promise. Now, you can sign up for all kinds of those 7,000 promises, but who's going to sign up for the greatest one? First thing is to see it. Now, the second thing I want to speak about is the greatest outcome. So here's Abraham. How does he actually achieve this incredible promise spoken over his life when he 
looks in the mirror and doesn't see anything to give him any hope? Well, the simple answer is this. Start small. Start small. And start a process. Start small and start a process. Now listen, before I go on, I just feel the Holy Spirit saying this. If, if you can start to see this, there's a call. There's a call. There's a call of God on your life to become a great nation. If you see it, there's a call. It means you can't remain indifferent. You can't walk out this door the same now if you've seen something. This should now superimpose itself on your mirror every day so that every day you look in the mirror, what you see is not a stripy shirt or me or a desire to be successful or play polo or anything else like that that we can remember from earlier on. What you see is these words, I will make you a great nation. And that determines how you look at yourself, how you look at your life, how you spend your money, how you want things in your heart. It changes everything if you've really seen it, if you can really see it. And this is how it worked for Abraham. So you have to start small. Now, where does Abraham start small? Well, two ways. First of all, Abraham has one son of promise, Isaac. That's not a lot for a nation. I mean, I think Wales has got more than that. If you're in Wales, you've got to have at least 15 because that's a rugby team. Boyle. He starts a nation with one person. I mean, how ridiculous is that? But what he started was a process. One became two. Two became 12. And then we lose count after that. It just gets so big, within a short space of time, we're into the hundreds of thousands. And the whole thing just mushrooms. What he started with a promise and a vision became something that couldn't be counted. And all he did was had one. So you start small. Now, actually, he didn't start with Isaac. He started with Sarah. He started with Sarah. Now, I'm going to slightly go off the point in a moment, but let's just... Think about Sarah and Abraham for a moment. In order to give birth to a nation, he needs to give birth to a son. And he can't do that on his own. He has to have Sarah there. The vision of God for Abraham had to have Sarah, his princess. Now you notice the first thing God had to do for them was change their names to change their thinking about themselves. Abraham, he had to call him father of multitudes. And Sarah, he calls her princess. I wonder what she really thought about herself to need lifting up to being a princess. 
well, let me just say something here. This is how this vision of God works. It works by natural families and by spiritual families. Let's just talk for a moment about natural families because this is where it starts. Now, your own particular marital situation may be various. You might be married. You might be wanting to get married. You might be widowed or divorced or separated or or all kinds of things. I want to talk, though, to, if you like, the, the majority, but in saying that, the vision that I'm speaking about, this vision of Abraham, this promise, is for anybody. It doesn't matter what your marital situation is. You can be single, widowed, divorced, married, about to get married, whatever. But in the case of marriage or wanting to get married, this vision starts with a couple. It starts with your own children. You start a nation by having children, if you can, and by winning their hearts for the Lord. Did you know in the American church this year, 260,000 young people are going to leave the American church and never return? That's in all churches across America. So every four years, over a million attenders at church who are in their teens and 20s are going to leave and never come back. Oh, that was a good Who's, who's ringing on me? <laughs> whose phone is whose phone is going over here? Well, let, let's just do... Come on, I mean, is it you, Yin? Is it your phone? Well, t- tell them we'll buy it all, okay? Um, oil and wheat. Now listen, it starts with families. And it starts with winning your own children for the Lord. And you see... There was an author a few years ago called John S. Dickerson. He wrote a book called The Great uh, uh, Evangelical Recession about the church in America. And he said there are six reasons why the church in America is actually going down and declining. And you could bring those six reasons to this country. And reason number five, he calls it bleeding or hemorrhaging. It's because we're losing the people we already should have, our own children. We're failing to pass on the faith to our own children. And do you know what? It's hardest of all to do that. And I'll tell you why. And parents, you need to tune into this. Parents, here's what I found with 35 years of being in pastoral ministry and 15 years of being a school teacher. Parents are generally unwilling to confront in their children what they won't confront in themselves. And when the pastor or the school teacher comes along and says, listen, there's an issue here, they get all defensive about it. I've sat in a school office and seen parents threaten me and the head teacher, all kinds of people with all kinds of things, because they won't confront the issue in themselves, let alone in their children. Parents, you can't afford to be like that. Your children will mirror your issues to you. When you see it in your child, deal with it in yourself and be open to God to change both your child and yourself at the same time. It's the only way to get through on this. You've got to be honest before God uh, like you've never been before. Because your job, parents, is to win your children as your first disciples. Now, for Abraham, it was even more important than that. He had to win Sarah. Sarah laughed when she heard this vision of a great nation. I mean, Abraham, you're old and getting on a bit. Well, so am I. And uh, men at that age might be able to perform. But women at my age, well, that's pretty difficult for us. Do you know, God did such a transforming work in Sarah's life that a foreign king fancied her and took her into his harem. That's amazing, isn't it, to be picked up by royalty in your 80s and 90s. I mean, that takes some doing. That's more than just a trip to the local plastic surgeon or the local beauty counter. I 
mean, that is some remarkable stuff going on there. That's the power of the work of God in her life. And Abraham had to bring her to faith. Now, if you're a wife and you're a Sarah and your husband isn't really in faith, or if you're an Abraham and your wife isn't really in faith, your first job is to bring your spouse to faith. That means the way you live at home, your attitudes at home, your, your priorities at home, they've got to change. This vision to become a great nation demands change in the home. And that's why we put so much emphasis on that. Now, my cell will regularly testify. This week, I was talking to them about their marriages. I was, and a few weeks ago, I was. And before that, and I set them challenges this year about their marriages. And just when they think they're going to have a nice, cozy evening, I start asking them all the awkward questions. You know, how is it with your wife this week? Have you taken her out on a date like you promised two weeks ago? And some, yes, we have. And, uh, 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 and then we get the excuses. All right? It matters. Sarah and Abraham have got to be together first. Now, let me say something to you. If you're looking for your Sarah or your Abraham, what do you look for? What do you look for? We're in a strange world at the moment, which has got so mixed up and confused. I'll tell you what I think. You can see whether you think it's worth expressing or not. I think we've got fussier, choosier, and harder to please over the last 30 or 40 years. About everything. Jobs is one thing. I'm just going to go off a little ramp for five minutes, and you can, you can, you can, we'll come back to the sermon in a minute. This is just my Clive's you on life here. If you don't stop me, we'll get onto the EU, then we'll be in serious trouble. So let's just, just have a little rant for about it. Listen, when we were teenagers, we got a job. The idea that you might like your job was completely alien to us. I mean, the idea that you might have a career that was somehow satisfying, that you wanted to go to work, I mean, where did that come from? You went to work and you did a job and you worked. And if you got paid, that was a bonus. If you liked it, well, about one person in ten liked their job. If you had a boss that was reasonable, I mean, where do you find one of those? There was a sign on the side of the labor exchange on the, on the, on where, you, where you signed on the doll. said, take care of your boss. The next one could always be worse. And it was true. There is such a high expectation of how wonderful it's all supposed to be. And the same thing then, we just got on with it. We made it work. We made ourselves happy at work. We found a way to be happy in our jobs. I worked in an iron foundry. It was a terrible place. Men would start there in the morning and they would finish by lunchtime. It was such a difficult industrial environment to work in. It was noisy, filthy, horrible, smelly. I loved it. I made myself happy there. By the time I left, I didn't want to go. I got myself a good little job going there. Good little number. Suited me really fine. And the same is true about partners. People get fussier. They write longer lists. I watch the kind of angst and dread that's on young people's programs today. They never seem to want to get married because nobody meets their specification. And that when somebody does, they then make the list longer. What's the matter with people today? Why are we so fussy? It's all about what this person is going to be like for me. Well, what about what I'm going to be like for them? You see, I see people write these lists, and they get a longer and longer list for the other person, but their own list is as short as that. And let me just read you something this week. This is what I made my guys read this week. This is an article from Bear Grylls. You know, he of island fame, that man that makes you eat live crocodiles, whatever it is they have on there. I can just get the 
Well, these are one of them. If I can just get this article open here. Why doesn't technology work when you want it? That's another gripe of mine. This. You better hope this. Can somebody make my iPhone work? Can somebody of a young generation I've just been criticising, please forgive me and come and make my iPhone? I just want to open this. Oh, thank you, Steve. Right, that's it. Okay. Paper. Look, see, the men in my cell rescue me with paper. We like paper. It shows they've taken this heart and take it home. This is what he says about how to find the perfect marriage partner. You ready for this? Your eyes are going to be open this morning. Oh. First of all, you dress up like Rambo. Put a knife in your teeth. I mean, you can imagine Bear Grylls proposing to his wife like this. Let's have hedgehog for the wedding, for the wedding sort of meal and snails and slugs and things like that. Okay, and this is what he says. He's been asked to write an article for a men's magazine. Not a very savoury one. So it's great that he can write a godly, Christ-centred, Bible-centred article in there. Brilliant. This is what he says. First off, remember, there is no such thing as the perfect partner. Marriage is about someone finding someone whose values and character you love, then doing everything you can to affirm, encourage, and match them. Wow. Isn't that a great message to put out to a magazine that specializes in image photographs I don't think I've ever read a copy. I don't think I could because you can't get past the front page if you understand what I'm saying. And this is what he says in there. Marriage is about finding someone whose values and character you love. Guys, do you want to find a princess? Then find someone whose values and character you love. See, Sarah was this kind of woman. It says about him, it is comparing her. This is what it says in 1 Peter 3. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses. You can do that, and it's nice. But let it be the hidden person of the heart. If that's all you're relying on, you're in trouble. With the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God, for in this way, the for, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. There's the kind of person that Sarah was in attitude and spirit and heart. And women, what are you looking for? Well, have you found a man of faith, a man with a father's heart? Do you know, I've got no time for men that don't want to have children. I'm serious about that. Well, I've heard men say things like this. Well, the, the missus wanted a kid, so we had one in the end. I mean, what's that all about? Abraham was a father. That means your, your number one desire in life is to give life. Your number one desire in life is to produce other little Abrahams. You want to be the initiator, the giver of life. And when that life comes, you look after it and care for it. You get actively involved. You lead the way in being a father like that. The problem with our world is we lack fathers. Girls, marry a father. Marry someone like Abraham who's like this. By faith, 
Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, and in a pro- as in a promised land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has a foundation, whose architect and builder is God. This man had a vision. He had a vision of building something better for God. He had a vision of him and Sarah doing something different. It cost him. He had to leave his father's house. He had to leave his culture. He had to leave his hometown. He had to leave behind all those expectations and all that um, connection that he had in order to branch out and do something bigger and better for God. Listen, it costs to become the father or mother of a great nation. You have to let some things go to do it God's way. Girls, look for a man, a man of faith, a man of vision, a man who's willing to obey God, a man who is willing to be a father in the natural and in the spiritual sense as well. And Abraham and Sarah started small, but what they started with was their own child who had their own DNA physically and spiritually. And we want to work with this. This is the beginning of our vision, is to see this call here that God wants to make us into a great nation. It starts with our own families. It starts with winning our own children. Now, I'm not trying to heap any condemnation. If you feel you've lost your children here, it's okay. God loves you. You can start right now. You can change right now. You can start to win people right now. You can start to do it different right now. This is about what I'm going to be for the future, not what I was in the past. This is about what God is calling me into, not what I need to leave behind. You can change and be different, whatever stage you're at in life, even with your own natural children. It's important to win them because the church is not keeping its own at the moment and it's losing them thick and fast. And throughout the centuries, although the church has grown through natural growth, sorry, through um, spiritual growth, through mission and reaching out to people, it's also grown by its own children being born and remaining in that faith. Both of those things contribute to the health and life and growth of the church. Both of those things are what makes the nation. Young men, find a princess who has the same vision. Young women, find a father of multitudes who has the same vision and build together with them. And finally, just to say, there was an obstacle. The greatest obstacle. There's the greatest promise. There's the greatest outcome, which is a son that goes on to multiply, and then there's the greatest obstacle. Now, imagine what it's like for Abraham and Sarah setting out. They've left their family home to go out on their own. It's sort of like a new beginning. It's almost like getting married again. It's almost like they were off on another honeymoon. Now, one thing you don't want on a honeymoon is somebody else. I mean, two's company and three's a crowd when it comes to honeymoon. Do pray for Pastor Wes, because he only speaks English and his bride-to-be only speaks Spanish. It's going to be an interesting honeymoon, isn't it? They don't really want to take a translator with them. 
I mean, apparently her daughter speaks English and Spanish, so that would be helpful, wouldn't it? But not many people want to take their children with them on their... And that can sound very complicated, can't it? Anyway. So here is the challenge in all of this. It says, in the scripture we read, we get back to it, and Lot went with him. Oh, dear. Would you take your nephew on honeymoon with you? I think not. Lily, can you imagine like taking Leo with you on honeymoon last year? Now, I, I think he'd have been rather demanding of your attention, wouldn't he? I mean, it, it wouldn't have been the same sort of... Yeah, well, anyway, let's not go there. But it, it, it's, it's, it's just awkward having Lot around, isn't it? I mean... Who wants to take their nephew with them? And yet, he did. It was like a honeymoon that they were on. A new beginning, a new vision, a fresh start. And this is what happens. When we seek to go forward in the God and in the vision of God, when a Sarah and an Abraham come together in a family setting, or when an individual connects with the Holy Spirit of God and sees that God wants to bring this promise to their life of making them into a great nation, and whether we're raising a natural family and disciples and cells, or a spiritual family of disciples and cells, Lot is always waiting to come with us. Now, you'll notice something about Abraham's journey, if you know the story. As long as Lot was with them, nothing happened. They did not produce a son. So what does Lot represent for us in this story? Well, Lot represents for us things that are close to us and dear to us, but that don't help us. And we've all got them, or potentially all could have them. Things that may not even be bad, but they don't help us become a nation, and they actually get in the way. Other hopes, other visions, other distractions, other ambitions, other plans and ideas that we think we can put alongside the vision of God to be a great nation. And yet those things end up taking our time and attention and finance and energies and draining us from the real vision and the real call of God. If we want to follow God's vision in our lives, we have to let those other things go. We can't bring them with us. In our first year of marriage, I had a great idea. I would take Sally on a walking, camping expedition. Something I'd always wanted to do. And Sally, being the kind, gracious, helpful person that she is, agreed to this rather crazy idea. And I had it all worked out. We were going to walk so many miles a day and carry so much stuff and go from between these points. It's going to last four days. And I managed to persuade uh, another couple who just recently got married as well to come with us. So we've been two couples doing this walk. 
It was the first of these kind of walks I'd ever done, but I had it all worked out. At the end of the first day, I had never experienced blisters so bad in all my life. Neither had the other three people, including Sally. It wasn't going how I thought it would go. The tent I took, which was a sort of a palatial thing, a sort of, you know, three bedrooms and a bathroom and that sort of size tent, it's a bit heavy to carry. So much so that we were struggling with the weight. Our shoulders were raw, hips where the belt went on was raw, feet where your feet had swelled, carrying all that weight was raw. It was not going well. We brought too much baggage. At the end of that first night, we were so tired, I said, let's camp here and it will be all right because a friend of mine's done this before. We were not allowed to camp where I suggested. I mean, it was only the grounds of the Prime Minister's house <laughs> at Chequers, but the, the public footpath went through it and I thought you could stop on the public footpath and camp there. Somebody told me you could. So we stop on the grounds of Chequers, set up this palatial tent and this other tent with our friends, and then while I'm away around the corner with my friend, the special branch come and arrest Sally and the other <laughs> wife and start questioning her about the security threat that this pair of tents now pose. This actually happened. This is true, isn't it, Sally? That's right. In the end, we were rescued. We were so tired. We carried so much baggage. We, our blisters were so bad. We were so sore and hurting. We couldn't really carry our stuff anymore. So the Prime Minister's chauffeur came out of his little house, which was at the gate of Chequers. His name was... Bob and Doris, the couple, they, they collected all our stuff and took us and put us in their garden. And then they, they said, well, you can sleep in the garage. We just pull us. We lay our stuff out there. This was going to be our week of roughing it, by the way. So at nine o'clock at night, they then invited us into the house for tea and scones and, and a bath. They had a bath and a bathroom for the ladies. The mercy of God was there. And so we sat around the fire eating muffins with them while they told us their stories about Ted Heath and Margaret Thatcher and what it's like to drive for the Prime Minister. Kid you not, that's, that's what actually happens. It doesn't pay to take too much baggage with you. It just weighs you down, gives you grief and pain, and stops you going on the journey. The next day, we were supposed to walk another 16 miles where we could hardly hobble too. So we, I had another great idea. Let's catch the bus. This walking expedition is not really true to the spirit of adventure, is it? That didn't work so well either. We were going to meet up with some guys, and that didn't work. In the end, they, they eventually found us, and we just put our gear in their car, and they drove us home. We'd had enough. We gave up after one and a half days. Our blisters, our feet, our shoulder, hip, everything we had, was just too much for us. My first great expedition ended in ignominy and failure. You can't take Lot with you. You can't take all this extra stuff. This is the journey to travel light on. Our own visions for ourselves, our own promises for ourselves, our own desires for ourselves. There's a better promise, and the two can't exist side by side. Lot has to go. We have to let the Lot go. Doug, can I have you back here again with the mirror? I wish I could clean those things. <laughs> well, I'm impressed he said that. 
40 years ago, he said, I wish I'd have got Lily to clean it. So times are changing for the better somehow. So your discipleship's working there, Doug. It's, it's very good. Glad you take the responsibility for it. Now, just turn it around so everybody can get a glimpse. Of them. Why, I tell you, why don't you walk down the front row then? Just walk it around so everybody can get a glimpse of themselves in the mirror. Now, take a good look at yourself. I'm glad it's his mirror and he's carrying it, okay? For the tape, he nearly dropped it. Take a look. Take a good look at yourself. What do you see? What do you see? Do you see yourself as an Abraham or Sarah? Do you see yourself as someone that God is saying, I will make you into a great nation? This is how it works practically. You raise your own family to know God. And you live out a sincere, genuine spiritual life in front of them. And win their hearts for the Lord too. And then you win disciples. And in our vision, we look to get just 12. You can stop at 12. You can forget the other 7 billion. If you get just 12, the 7 billion follow on. Once we got to 12 with Jacob, it just got too big. After that, nobody could keep counting for very long. Can you see yourself? as an Abraham or a Sarah. Can you see this? Can you see? If there's anything else that's first place in our lives, we're fooling around. We're actually refusing God's call. We're refusing to change. We're holding out on God's true purpose for us. I wonder how many Christians in this country today really see that promise as a great promise for them. That I will make you a great nation. Oh, well, a pastor, he can be a great nation, or I'll go to somebody's church there, they can be a great nation. Me, I'm just me. Actually, you're not just you. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a great nation in the making. Nobody is me anymore, Nathan Bowie. I don't mind you gave that answer. That's all part of this. Nathan, you are a great nation. You're a great nation in the making. Many sons and daughters of the king will come from you. Spiritual and natural. It's the same for every one of us here. You're a great nation. John Kamara, you're a great nation. I just picked on him because he's looking down. (laughs) Not paying attention. My guess is, and I could be totally wrong with this, so I'm only saying it's a guess, but if we went to most churches in this country and we put the mirror in front of them, we get, this, we get a similar set of answers, maybe not even as good as some of the answers we had this morning. Some better, some not so good. Can you see why the church is in problem in the West? The vision isn't there. 
the vision isn't in the eyes of the people that need it. The vision is not in the eyes of the ordinary believer to say, my vision, my overlay, the thing I see on the mirror is this. I will make you a great nation. That's the promise to Abraham. That's the promise to Jesus. It worked for them and that's the promise to me and it's going to work for me because he says, I'm going to. And if he says, I'm going to, right, okay, let's stand up and respond to the Lord, shall we? Doug, come and help me. Now, who, please close your eyes a moment. We're going to sing a song that some of you will know and most of you won't, but we've translated it into English. It's the best song I know for a moment like this, so do your best with it when it comes up in a moment. And help Doug, because he's on his own playing here. Who here, while our eyes are closed, wants to dare to be different? Is there anybody that can see that promise and say, yes, I'm willing to leave Lot behind as well in order to be Abraham or Sarah, in order to be a father or the mother of a nation. And all I need to do is just get one. And that starts the ball rolling. If it's my own children, that is precious and powerful. I'm already starting to build a nation. If I could go beyond my own children and win one here and another one there, and that would be awesome. A nation's begun. And if I could get 12, wow! I'm positively challenging America, India, and Russia, and China all at once. I'm going to ask you to respond in two ways. You can dare to believe this promise is for you. And not worry about what you see in the mirror. And you want to acknowledge that for the Lord, you can just raise your hand now and just say, Lord, I'm going to dare to believe this promise. This is what my life's about. This is what's going to overlay the mirror for me. This is my vision for my life. Jesus. We're going to sing a song. And I want to invite you to join in with this song as a way of expressing your faith and response to the word of the Lord this morning. generation I will be the father of a nation I will reach and touch my generation Generation all around me 
wandering blindly so far from home I will heal the broken heart and proclaim freedom for the captives I'll prepare the way for Jesus show his power and grace to save I will be the father of a nation I will reach and touch my generation I will be the father of a nation I will reach Touch my generation. I see a world full of broken people, lost and hoping to find their way. A lost generation all around me, wandering blindly so far from home I will heal the broken heart and proclaim freedom for the captives I'll prepare the way for Jesus show his power love to save. Sing, I will be. I will be the father of a nation. I will reach and touch my generation. I will be the father of a nation. I will reach Touch my generation. 